Greetings and salutations, board game fans. This is the Dice Pirates Podcast. We are back, and today we have an extremely super exciting episode. We're actually going to be interviewing Gary from Contention Games, the company that has just recently finished the Kickstarter for the Slay the Spire board game. Something that we've all gotten the chance to play. We've enjoyed a lot, and we're actually going to get the chance to sit down, kind of talk with him, figure out you know, what, how did the process work, adapting it, getting through, what was the Kickstarter like. I'm super excited for it. It's going to be really fun, so I can't wait to get into that. I'm joined, of course, by Matt and Aaron. How are you guys doing? You excited for this one? I'm so excited. I don't have words for how excited I am. The, he, your voice was dripping with enthusiasm, <laughs> as, as usual. Hey, hey, calm down, okay, buddy? R- bring it down a notch. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, I loved this game when we played it on Tabletop Simulator, so I can't wait to talk to Gary about all the things that went into making it. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a real fun one. I can't wait to get into it. Of course, before we get to the interview, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna have our soapbox. We're gonna have a short game. Um, Aaron, I know you had something that you wanted to talk about. So I recently picked up, uh, this released a few months ago, uh, Fantasy Realms Deluxe Edition from WizKids Games, uh, and it's Fantasy Realms is a game that came out a few years ago. It is the game that inspired Jamie Stegmeier's Red Rising, and it is fundamental. I mean, you can you can see how you got from one to the other. Uh, it's basically you have a hand of cards at the beginning of the game. Over the course of the game, you're going to be drawing and discarding cards, uh, trying to... Every card in your hand combos off of another card in your hand, hopefully, in the quest to get the most possible points when the game ends. What I wanted to talk about more than the game itself is the deluxe edition. Because, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about Kickstarter a lot. We talk about how egregious board gaming has gotten, how crazy spendy things are now. And Fantasy Realms Deluxe Edition comes with the base game, the expansion, the promos comes with full art sleeves for all of the cards in the game so they're not even just clear plastic sleeves it comes with uh, sleeves that have the artwork from the back of the card printed in, in, in full art on the back there's a second set for the cards that come with the expansion that have a different card back and all of that was $35 MSRP I paid less wow. than that because I bought it online because whatever uh, and I just it's like I don't know, hey board game publishers, you can yeah. you can put out a really fancy, a really nice version of a game that is not a hundred and fifty four hundred dollars. It can just be a nice box, a nice insert, sleeves, little score pad, the manual, all of that, and it doesn't. You don't have to go crazy, you know. There's no statues, there's no minis, there's no hand-carved gemstone dice. It's just, it's the game, and it's the nicest version of the game. And it was, like, 30 bucks. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to go crazy with your your fancy super-duper editions yeah. of games. I I love this, and I uh, and I think it's a great point to, to bring up, because I, I, I worry about this for the hobby like overproduction and barrier of entry getting too high, particularly with everything coming out of the Kickstarter world. I mean, when stuff is like entry level 
to get started on a on a hot new game that's coming out is like a hundred dollars. That's a lot. I mean, and that's way out of proportion to video gaming, which is not a cheap hobby. But when you consider that you buy a console for three hundred dollars and that gets you five years probably worth of investment, and then you know sixty dollars a game from there, like overall, like hours of time and money, video games are running cheaper than a lot of board games and that doesn't seem <laughs> you know yeah it doesn't seem like that should be tracking that way but you know when games are getting north of 60 70 80 100 bucks like that's a lot you know a third of the price of a video game console is a lot for some people to plunk down for a, a video game so it's great to have a rich full featured really cool game for like 35 bucks we just played uh, a game of. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I just had a great board game experience today. On this today, we're recording this. Uh, uh, Dennis and I played, and some other folks played uh, Escape the Dark Sector from uh, Themeborn, which you know I've sung the praises of their Escape the Dark games many times on the show. But I still am amazed at how much fun they pack into really affordable packages, just cards, a handful of dice. You know, they resisted the urge to like overproduce with like minis and all sorts of superfluous stuff to like create a tablescape. I mean, it's very simple. Most of the game is taking place in your mind as you read and imagine it. And it's still really fun and it makes it accessible. It's a good game to get started in board gaming with. So, yeah, I think you raised a great point, though, about price point and accessibility. Yeah, no, that seems really cool. And I, I do like that it is this complete package. Like you said, you know, that, that's really exciting. We're going to go ahead and jump into our game. This, of course, going to be a classic episode of Bitter Board Gamers. Got some fun ones for you guys today. Of course, Bitter Board Gamers, I'm going to go ahead and read out a one a low-star review of a game on Board Game Geek, and you guys are going to try and decide, you know, what uh, what game is this from? You guys ready? Let's do it. I was going to try and 360 no-scope and guess that you were going to pick, pick reviews of Slay the Spire because, um, you know, people like to review stuff that's not out yet. But there's no way anyone has given this a one-star review, so I, I think that's not it. No, unfortunately, you're already wrong, and we haven't even started the game. So it's <laughs> you know, classic, so Aaron. Incredible. Speed run. I'm, I'm really Speed impressed. Run you're batting a thousand points. here. Uh, all right, we're going to go ahead and jump into the first actual review, and uh, here you go. Make a new category for games that are actually not games and not fun at all, and this game would do well, except that it takes too long to set up. Sunk cost fallacy of the game. Please be nice to your friends and pick something else or you will lose them. Sunk cost fallacy of so the game. It's wicked uh, expensive. Yeah, I had an immediate thought. Just like a, like a right out the gate thought. This is uh, that new Descent, Descent Legends of the Dark, or that it, it just not, came out with. It is not. It is not Descent. Is it is it Gloomhaven? It is not Gloomhaven. Okay. Are we in the neck of the woods? Oh, are you are in the neck of the woods. Uh, all right. It's massive darkness too. Not massive. Not mass. All right, all right. I'm gonna give you guys a second review before you strike out full. Yeah, like two. You like two strikes each. All right. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, I hate what this company has done to board gaming. We'll buy it in a year <laughs> or so from now when it's on Amazon for eighty four dollars and ninety cents. Okay, it's a Simon game. Uh, so, yeah, it's a Simon game. <laughs> nope, still not, still wrong. No. What? Not even okay. remotely close. You are way off base now. You are way close. This company. Wait, eighty-five dollars. I, I hate this company. So it's not. Well, it's Asmodee, right? Like you know. Yeah. But I mean, 
I think that like at this point I'm a subsidiary of Asmodee. Like Asmodee is everything. <laughs> you can't you can't even hate Asmodee anymore if you want to be I, in the hobby. I don't I don't yeah, think are... it def- it's not Asmodee and I'm pretty sure this company's not owned by Asmodee. Okay. All right. Well, all right. I'm going to give you one more. On this will pr- you'll probably guess it on this one. All I'd right. rather play RPG on console. The console game doesn't cost me as much as this. Uh Actually, this might be misleading. Wait. Yeah, now I'm confused. Is that uh, like, is this the uh, upcoming uh, Elder Scrolls? No, no. Man, you were so. All right, I'll give you one more review. Wow, this has never <laughs> happened. One more review and. Well, four reviews and we didn't get it. You will have you will have it after this one. Multiple delays, changed components promised in the Kickstarter based on accusations, wasting money on a cultural consultant for a fantasy game with fantasy races and fantasy cultures. Oh, it's Frosthaven. It's Frosthaven. Frost yeah. It's oh, Frosthaven. Aaron, you were so yeah. close. Oh. You had, oh, you had one word wrong. You went you went gloom. Set of frost. Oh. We were, we're so close. That is a uh I think that's a first for bitter board gamers. You guys did not manage to pick I I thought you'd get it. I gotta be honest. Well, maybe maybe I mean, my we're definitely on the right hard. track. Overblown uh fantasy uh tabletop game was definitely the right direction to go uh for sure you know i don't i'm not excited about Frosthaven. and the problem is that gloom it's not a problem but gloomhaven is so much of a game is there anybody in the world that's actually completed gloomhaven and and therefore and therefore actually needs Frosthaven? you can play gloomhaven for the rest of your life uh they, they finished gloomhaven and also finished jaws of the lion i mean to be, I mean, if, a lot of people did Haven. buy Frosthaven. Like, I mean, yeah, but I just know, like I, I get what you're saying. Like, we didn't. I don't feel any compulsion to play it. No, you didn't need Frosthaven. I mean, I, I'm glad it exists, and I'm glad for Isaac Child, Childress, Childers, Childress. Childers, yeah. yeah what I'm was, glad for that guy. What was surprising to me going through these reviews was how many people, and I realized that some of this was due to you know the cultural consultant he hired and. You know, good on him for that. I think we've talked about that before. We talked about that. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, fantastic on him for, you know, seeing that sort of stuff. But a lot of people felt very mad simply at just the, the, the you know, the company itself. And like you said, like, I hate what they've done to board gaming. I mean, what have they done to board what gaming? What have they done to board That's gaming? That's the, yes. yeah. If you want to get mad at this about being like, because it's big and expensive and arguably not necessary, then you know, I could like entertain said, that yeah. argument. But like, they haven't harmed board gaming. Any more than some other companies have. Yeah. Anyway. Man. All right. Well, that was an interesting one. I wonder if you guys will get this next one. Okay. You guys ready for the first review? Let's do it. Yeah. Truly terrible. After a nearly decision-free hour of flipping cards and rolling dice, the game broke. Got into a state where it could not be finished, and nothing in the rulebook acknowledged that possibility. I'm actually offended that this game exists. What a waste <laughs> of a great IP. I threw away my copy, rated it one, and then I went to every other game I rated one and rated them twos. This has set the <laughs> new low standard for me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this game created a new bottom for this guy. Like a new a new <laughs> nader for like quality. Uh waste of an IP, flipping dice and neural, flipping uh created an unwinnable board game state, board state. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely so some kind of cooperative. Uh, it's not the Star Wars Clone Wars Pandemic game we just reviewed, is it? It's not that one. Actually, I looked at that one, and there were not enough negative reviews of that 
to bring it onto the show. Yeah, because <laughs> it's because it's actually very good. It's it's like low key one of the best games out there right now. Nobody's talking about it. All right, I'll give you guys another review. <clears throat> there is one good thing about this game. It made me want to make a game that's better than this one. Currently <laughs> in the works at the moment. <laughs> Kickstarter dropping Q3. <laughs> All right, I'll give, you guys, I'll give you guys a real review here, because uh, that okay. one's not going to help at all. Garbage. I only rate it a three for nostalgic reasons. As a kid, I would ride my bike to the library and pay 50 cents to play this game for an hour. Now that I think about it, that was a better experience, and about what this game is worth. I'll keep it on the shelf to have it as a collector, but after two plays with the wife, I doubt I will ever see the table again. I have none idea. You have none idea? I'll give you a clue. We actually have had this... On Bitterboard Gamers before, this was this is the first repeat game that I'm pretty sure we have. Wait, is it Oregon Trail? It's Oregon Trail. Yeah, it's, all, it's the, <laughs> all just completely awful Oregon Trail game. Yeah, I yeah. I specifically brought Oregon Trail back because of the first review. I saw it, yeah. and I could not live with myself this if I didn't bring it to you. Honestly, I respect him, and I think he's right. It's the new bottom standard for me. For like, it's uh, there. There are only two genuinely bad board game experiences I've ever had in all the years we've been playing it, and one of them was a Kickstarter that just had a broken set of rules uh, that uh, Max took a chance on, and then this game. <laughs> I've only had two genuinely bad board game experiences in my whole life. That is, I would be interesting to, to go through the worst experience, not besides, I mean, this one is, is pretty bad, but I think one of my worst uh, gaming experiences actually was with the Avatar, the last airbender game. That was, Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. You, did you buy that or no, our friend, our friend bought it and uh, she came over because, you know, we all like the show very much and we wanted to get into it. And it's one of the worst <laughs> games I've ever played really? in my life. It was truly horrific. And I, 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 came into it full of happiness and, and excitement and i left yeah. a husk of a man <laughs> like you lost years i lost to years. that game and all the more because you genuinely i know this about you you genuinely have a lot of fondness for that property and so i'm sure you were like thrilled to get into it yeah i thought it would be i thought it would be interesting but it, it managed to to not only strip all of the fun out of the exciting source material, it also managed to mechanically be a poor and broken game. So it succeeded on no fronts. Uh, it also had the worst components I've ever seen. So now I just gotta look this up. Wow, it's That's... yeah. I mean, at the no. very least, the Oregon Trail has you know a little whiteboard you can work on, and it has some stuff going on there. This had little like paper cardboard like circles that you put on a, a little mat it was truly terrible and uh what is it I oh my cabbages yeah all my cabbages or oh my cabbages. wait it's a game about cabbages it's a game about you have cabbages. a game i thought this was the like arena battle game that you were talking nope. about nope so this is an uh, a hereto unknown to me. Oh no! Yeah, the, I'm sure the arena battle game is an infinitely better experience than this. There's Isn't an arena it? battle game also. This was uh, this was something else, and you know what? I'll have to see if I can find it. I'm not gonna buy it, but I'll have to see if I can find it because <laughs> this would be a fun one to break down for maybe a future soapbox. I love the idea of somebody going like, "All right, I want to make an Avatar board game. It's a show about mystic martial arts and an eternal struggle for balance of power and uh, all of this stuff." But I'd really like to focus in on cabbages. 
uh like that's the when i think about avatar the thing that i keep going back to is cabbage uh game based on the the joke of the recurring character recurring character of the cabbage merchant you know who shows up everywhere but it it just did not land so but yeah so for me that would take the number one spot but i can understand why oregon trail definitely is down there for you that's bitter board gamers of course um so we're gonna jump into this interview now but before we do that um just but you know to set this up i just kind of want to briefly cover slay the spire what it is we have talked about this before but of course slay the spire was originally a video game and it's a deck building video game it's one of those that we mentioned back in our uh, video games for board gamers episode as it is a, a truly fantastic deck building experience where there is so much depth and so much to enjoy. And we were very excited when the Kickstarter came out. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for years now. And one of the things, and we'll get into this later, but one of the things that we all really enjoyed was how they actually managed to make cooperative play work and actually make it part of the game without breaking it and still make it enjoyable. I know we're gonna really dive into this in the interview and afterwards, but just real quick, before we get to that, I kinda wanna get the impressions that the both of you had when you first jumped into the board game version. Well, I gotta admit, okay, so full full disclosure, I was skeptical. I was actually really skeptical because Slow the Spire is to me like such an almost perfect video game. It, it it does what it's trying to do so well that I was like, one, really, does it even need a physical adaptation to be relevant? And two, is there anything they could do to improve upon it? If all they did was like recreate the video game on the tabletop, is that even worth my time? And so I was actually very skeptical. And I, this game uh, exceeded my expectations tremendously. Uh, the decision to make it co-op already like completely changes the feel of the game working together to fight enemies in rows and being able to collaborate together uh changes the way it feels in a number of ways uh they manage to uh take all the things that you like about the board game about the video game bring it to the tabletop and put some interesting like tweaks to it to where uh i i really do think it complements the video game experience very well sometimes i will play a game and leaving the game, my thoughts will just be like, there's no other way you could have made this game. Sidereal Confluence is one of those games. I don't like that game, but I can admit, objectively, it's it's perfectly designed. Like, it's there's, there's no other way you could have made that board game and have it still work. And they, they got it with that one. I felt very similar, specifically when it comes to it's it feels like the video game you have those those epic moments those high high highs and low low lows and it you can tell how much work has been put in to to make this both not just the the video game but print it out mm-hmm. because that that was the easy way to do this was you just take all the assets you print them out onto to paper and cardboard put that in a box, slap it out the door. And they didn't do that. This is very much a, a labor of love translating this from video games to board games and have it still, have it feel like the video game, but also feel like its own unique thing. It's it's a it's another story set in the same universe, right? Like it's the same cast of characters going yeah. on a similar adventure 
but it feels different enough to justify both of their existences. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into that. Here's our interview with Gary from Contention Games. All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates. And we are thrilled to give you a, a special guest uh, this week. We are here uh, with Gary Doretsky of Contention Games. He is uh, one of the designers behind the Slay the Spire board game adaptation, uh, a game that we've been really excited about and are thrilled to talk to Gary a little bit about the whole process of bringing that to the table. Gary, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ian, I'm going to kick it over to you to start this off. Uh, I think you are like uh, probably the premier uh, champion <laughs> of this game. Adapt- You've been watching this Kickstarter and the build up to it for a long time. So I'm going to turn it to you to kind of get the conversation started with Gary. Yeah, so you know, like you said, I I was looking forward to this since when the the Kickstarter was first announced. I don't know, was that over two years ago or so? I think when they said it was coming. Um, and uh, no, I've I've been excited for it. I've poured way too many hours into Slay the Spire and uh, love that game to death. And I was more than excited to see that realize in the physical in a physical version on the tabletop. So I, I think what I wanna what I wanna ask first is how did that get started? Did you guys reach out to Mega Crit? How did that relationship begin, and why even make Slay the Spire into a board game? Because I think a lot of people would consider that to be the perfect video game in its form. Why did you? Just, uh, what led to that? Well, um, I think the main reason I wanted to make the game is because um, when I was looking for the next game to make uh, after my first game, Imperium the Contention, I was thinking, like, you know, I, I don't want to compete against my wife who is the main person I play games with you know what when I make these things where I know all the rules and and she has no idea what's going on um so playing competitive games in in that way with with your spouse is not not the best experience for them so I'm like you know what would be really awesome if I could just play slay the spire with my wife that would just be that would just be incredible that that would just be exactly what I want and um, so I thought, you know, I'll make a, I, I should make a board game like Slay the Spire, but co-op. And um, and so I reached out to Megacrit, and I'm like, you know, this is the next game I'm planning to make, something like something like this. And um, your IP is, you know, kind of what I have in mind when I'm designing it. So mm-hmm. uh, it'd be really cool if I could just, while designing it, you know, keep your IP in mind and. Um, if it turns out that it's something you're interested in, you know, I can send you the prototype when it's ready. And if it's something you're interested in, then we can move forward. And if not, you know, I'll just, I'll just steer it in another direction. Um, so I, I did that. I sent on the prototype and they liked it. So we, we went ahead with Slay the Spire, you know, the IP. I love that. I love that co-op was in your mind from the beginning, actually. Uh, that's, the first thing that struck me playing the uh, version that's up on Tabletop Simulator now is how fresh the, it feels playing it co-op. If you've played a lot of Slay the Fire in its uh, digital uh, form, you know you you might be surprised at how it, it it's true to its form, but it's also like it feels really fresh playing with friends. So. I guess just uh, you know why why co-op? What about Slow the Spire? Did you think would lend itself to like a co-op experience when you were kind of conceiving of of transforming it into a board game? Um, 
Well, it's not necessarily that uh, I played it and immediately thought, you know, Slay the Spire should be co-op. It's just something I wanted. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, you know, I figured, you know, other people would want to do that too. And, you know, there's a mod out there for um, for the video game called Spire with Friends, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually played it, but I know that, you know, there, there was a, some desire amongst that community to play more co-op. And I know there are some other game video games out there that, that are exploring that like um, across the obelisk is one, I believe I haven't played that either, but um, I, I definitely want to check that out, but it's um, I think it's a hole that people kind of want to fill with, with the game. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, so you, you come up with your prototype, you send it off to Megacrit, they like it, so you go through the process of actually turning it into Slay the Spire, the board game. With the pandemic, you had to go to a different set of playtesting. You ended up creating the Tabletop Simulator mod, which is a very, very well-developed mod as well. And it compared to a lot of the, the mods out there, it's really well done. You mentioned earlier as we were just chatting that that was not the original plan. Yeah, um, we had the physical prototype uh, here, and we wanted to, you know, play test it more. And you know, we have a local uh, community in LA that uh, is great to play test with. And you know, the, the, it was like winter; the pandemic was in full swing, and we're like, "This is not going to yeah. work. How do we, how do we play test this thing?" And I'd been reluctant to get in the tabletop simulator, but. The writing was on the wall. The game couldn't move forward without without creating the mod. But the scripting for the mod uh, came later. Um, we, we found an excellent scripter, uh, Wade. Wade is a fantastic scripter. He's also working on the uh, Fractal board game, okay. Fractal Beyond the Void. Have you guys played that? I have not, but I, I am. I have heard of it and is on that that wish list. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine's designing that one, and and Wade was working with him on that. And I saw the scripting. I'm like, you know, this is the guy. The scripting's incredible. Yeah, kudos to Wade. I will say we were we were joking around a little bit before we started recording that I sort of amongst our friend group like loathe slightly loathe uh, the the tabletop simulator environment because it is it's just a little clunky. You know, you're moving stuff around, and so good scripting makes those games like better when you can automate different parts of it. And and the, this that mod works really well and it made it very accessible and you can just, you can just concentrate on playing the game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, when you ask a play tester to play test your game, you kind of don't want to make the experience a chore for them. You know, right. they're taking their free time to, to, to help make the game better. You don't, uh, you don't want to throw obstacles in their way. And so I, I just wanted to make the process also smoother for them the the original goal for the scripting was just you know let's let's get these you know the play testers having a better experience going to the the design of the game itself um you know as someone who has kind of dabbled in board game design uh, not enough to call myself a designer but enough to know that like wow this is actually a very hard thing to do uh what what was something that you I guess, uh, what, what's the thing that you spent the longest on that you eventually, you had to kill your darlings, it had to, there was, you just couldn't make it work? Uh, yeah, one that, uh, one that I was reluctant to let go of, but I 
eventually had to give up on was Watcher's Divinity Stance. Mm. I went through a bunch of versions and our, our you know, the, we have a couple of devs, uh, Penny and Andrew, uh, we're, we're coming up with ideas and we eventually went with, uh, with, with Penny's idea, uh, which was, you know, the simplest idea, which is often how it happens. <laughs> you try to make the complicated ideas work. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, we eventually had to cut divinity and we went with Penny's idea for wrath. And that was, that was like a, a five, six week process to, to get watcher, right. And uh, that was probably some of the most intense development and playtesting of the game. And that was about a year ago, actually. Oh, a year, year and two months ago. I can definitely see that being one of the uh, more careful things you had to, to really be with, especially because Watcher is such a, a knife's edge character to begin with. So being able to, to replicate that in the, the board game definitely, I imagine, was a, a bit of a chore. A very interesting. Um, I guess, like, so kind of delving into a little bit more you know you couldn't make that work but was there like a specific mechanic that you refused to cut you you didn't end up cutting it you just worked on until you made it work what was the what was the thing that you ended up working with the most just because it had to be there um we went through probably every iteration of weak and vulnerable you can think of to arrive at it being where it is um like some people will notice, oh, weak isn't as effective right. as, you know, the, the video game or, or vulnerable doesn't last as long. And it's just it's just like, uh, yeah, you can't just have one person put a week on something and then essentially give everyone a bunch of block. Right? Yeah. It has to <laughs> has to be pretty limited or um, or will create such a big difference between a party with and without weak that, you know, without weak, you're just dead. Um, so that, that was, uh, that was quite a challenge. Um, and the way they cancel out, like we tried every variation, how, how like we, do we do double the damage on vulnerable and minus one for weak or minus one and double the damage is like, how about we don't do any of that? And they just cancel each other. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense. It's very, it's a, one of those like simple solutions that just makes a lot of sense and it works. You keep, uh, you keep mentioning, you know, uh, the, the kiss principle, keep it simple. Uh, which really comes through in the design. One of the, the things that uh, you've you've talked about, and if, if you haven't read them, people across the internet, if you haven't read them, uh, Gary, you, you've done a fantastic design diary on BoardGameGeek that's been going on for a couple years now, uh, talking about, mostly it's talking about the things that we're going to ask you about today, but, you know, it's a podcast. It's an audio form, so this way if people don't want to read it. Um one of the, the things about the game that really blew my mind the first time I played it and like understood what was happening and how much you had tied into it is the, the, the die roll at the beginning of each round of combat where you have all of these relics that could just be 15 different piles of tokens that you would have to keep track of for every character and stacks of cards for enemy intents but instead you have taken so much of this and tied it to one die roll every round and everything that would happen randomly or tracked just keys off of that 
I, I guess like how did how did you get to taking you know something like the sunflower relic that that needs to remember every round you've played between combats and floors and monster intents being random or ordered or whatever and then get to oh basically everything is just going to be this one die roll because that makes a lot less cognitive overload for people around the table yeah um it basically comes down to that i am a lazy picky gamer (laughs) and if a game doesn't uh like reach a certain level of like like you make it simple and you figure out how to make it work you know don't do all of your ideas and then expect me to figure out all the all the stuff like 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 in gloomhaven when when you know the minis on the board the hp is <laughs> over there the intents are in the deck over here my my attacks are like i, I pull a deck it's like like I like Gloomhaven, but no, I don't want to do that. Please don't make <laughs> me do that. Yeah, <laughs> and please don't make me pull out all the components to do that. Like, like you want me to like your game more? Just make all that stuff as streamlined as you can without reducing the depth. It's not that hard to do. Just you know, just keep on changing things until um, you you are okay playing the game, even when you're you know feeling lazy. As a follow-up to that, uh, I'd like to know how you designed it so perfectly that the only number that ever rolls on the die is the one that I have no relics for. Um, <laughs> that would be that would be great to understand. <laughs> yeah, um, that is actually something we're working on right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a die that knows which relic. No, it's um. <laughs> We have been getting lots of complaints in solo about die relics not triggering. And that is something we're working on right now with uh, we're making a new solo relic uh, that interacts with the die. And um, it triggers uh, once per combat. Um, the current the current design is that on a five or six, when you're playing solo, you could use this relic to trigger another die relic. So let's say you have like an ink bottle on one and two. If you roll a five, you can use your ink bottle. And then you used it for that uh, for that combat. Um, so that will increase your chances of triggering your die relics in solo by a lot. Um, and uh, you can also use it if you have no die relics to gain one block. So that, that's something we're working on. It's called a loaded die. And uh, that'll be coming out in the next update that we're working on. Is it is it tough like balancing for solo play when you're also trying to make it satisfying as you know a two, three, and four player game as well? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, solo to two player is uh, like a big bump in difficulty. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, to some extent, we're okay with multiplayer getting easier because you generally don't want to invite a bunch of friends over to die to gremlin knob on the fourth right. floor. <laughs> um, uh, whereas if you're by yourself, you know, we're okay killing you on floor four, you know, like you're not, you know, you, you can reset. You're not upsetting anyone else's schedule except your own. Right. Um, so that, that we're, we're cool with that. 
but there's an extent to which you know like like with any game where it doesn't feel fair doesn't feel uh like it's the right level of difficulty and that's mm -hmm. that's always a balancing act and i think um i think the solo is a touch too hard right now and Matt, I'm hoping the loaded die solves that. We're we're working on some other uh, places where the the edges feel a little rough. One of which is the the third floor. So the first encounter is kind of easy. The first question mark is usually going to make you stronger, but uh, that that third floor hallway fight in solo is sometimes a little too difficult and takes. Uh, takes a little too big a chunk out of you for you to feel like you have a chance anymore. Um, and the main way we're planning to do that is identify the hardest hallway fights in in the first act. And like like take the gremlins, for example. The summons four gremlins. Four gremlins when you're getting close to the boss is fine. Four gremlins on the third floor is not so fine when you're playing solo. Um, so we're, we're planning to add a little thing on the summon bar, like, you know, summon two gremlins. And if mm -hmm. there's two more players, summon three. You know, that's that's the kind of thing we're looking at uh, adding right now. Um, going back to, to uh, you know, you're talking about how the game feels to play. Something that really, really comes through and really impressed me was how much this feels like Slay the Spire, the video game. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like you just took all of the assets, printed them out on your printer, cut them out, and then set them in front of you. Obviously, you know, uh, the the work that you've done to make it... It's cool in the video game when you do uh, an attack and it does like 467 damage because the computer is doing all of that math for you. And if you were to sit down at home and do that, you'd need like three calculators at your table and it kind of quits being fun at that point. You know, uh, uh, something that you'll notice the very first time you play the game, if you haven't already, go play it, though. It's on Tabletop Simulator. Please, you'll have a great afternoon. Um, is that you've, you've scaled all of the numbers way, 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 way down. You know, as uh, uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar, uh, every character has nine hit points. Your basic defend blocks one point. Like, everything has been scaled down dramatically, but it still feels like the video game you still get those epic combo turns where you drew exactly the right set of cards that you needed and everything's popping off how hard was it to get to the point where it felt like the video game without being just a copy of the video game um the very first uh prototype that i sent to mega crit uh it was already using the die um that that was uh the main idea i had on how to tie things together it was already using the monster intense with that um the, i i think the the hard the granularity was hard going down to one was really right. difficult um the first prototype went down to two strikes and defends did two damage and blocked for two and um, it made sense to me because like a strike does six damage in the video game and when it's upgraded, it does nine. So going from two to three is, right. you know, the same, it's the same increase. But I knew the best version of the game would be at one. 
So I just, with the next prototype, I just, you know, gritted my teeth and reduced the numbers. And then just through iteration, like, you know, like the granularity is so low that if you have something one number up, it's just ridiculously stronger that like, if, if it's one number higher than where it needs to be, that's like plus five damage in the video game. It's, um, it required uh, a lot of play testing and it was really hard to find out some of these numbers, like, like something that does 12 damage in the video game or 13 damage, where do we put it? Does it deal two damage in the board game or does it deal three? That's, that took, it takes a lot of play testing to find the oh, answer. Yeah. If you think it, it feels like, if you don't feel that rough edge, then, then we did our job. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you can play cards that say numbers one, two, and three on them, and it still feels like Slay the Spire, you know, that that was not easy to do at all. And it took a lot of work and it took, it took a lot of help, it took a, a great playtesting community. Um, so yeah, I hope you all enjoy that because it was not easy. <laughs> <laughs> we, we definitely enjoyed it a lot. And that actually does kind of tie into the question I was going to ask you because there were a lot of people that really enjoyed it quite a lot. So you, you know, put out the Kickstarter and there was a very, po very positive response to it. Uh, I mean, you know, I imagine you knew, I mean, obviously it's Slay the Spire, a very popular game. There was going to be a response. Were you surprised by just how popular the kick the Kickstarter was? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> day, day one was uh, definitely a bigger response than we expected. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we weren't ready for 1.2 million on day <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. That, that was for sure. Uh, obviously on Kickstarter, there's always a lot of, uh, armchair experts in the, in the comments talking about like, oh, well, you know, day one is always the day it, it blows out. And then the last day or two, people get reminder emails. It does a little bit more. I, I was cautiously, optimistically like, Okay, so 1.2 on the first day, they'll probably finish off at like two and a half, two and three quarters. And then you guys ended up at 3.9 million, which is, like like Ian said, obviously it's Slay the Spire. It's a hot commodity. People know the game. People <laughs> love the game. It had an audience built in. But still, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, um, there are, I mean, uh, uh, last month there were, there were th three... There were two other IPs that came out. Um, th oh, I mean, last month was crazy. I mean, Death May Die had just ended, and Oathsworn was on Kickstarter, and uh, Heroes of Might and Magic came on. Oh yeah, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic three, and then and then Elden Ring, and and just the fact that like uh, Slay the Spire was up there with Elden Ring and Heroes of Might and Magic in terms of what it was bringing in was. Uh, was you know was pretty impressive i didn't expect us to be up there with with you know ips as big as that i mean slay the spire ha has a great uh following and i think the audience is um is probably more likely to be board gamers than some of these other games yeah uh, just because the nature of it being a card game but but still you know like if you compare the followings of something like elden ring and slay the spire it's not close yeah there was definitely a lot of people that were interested in it um, I do like, so has the way, obviously you're not going to bring the game to Kickstarter unless you feel like it's ready enough that you're saying, this is what we're doing. So obviously I, I know there's 
still a little bit of work that you guys are doing. Obviously, you're still tweaking some stuff. Did the approach you had towards the game, did the way that you think about it at all and the uh, thoughts you had on sort of the balance change as the Kickstarter begins and all of a sudden, I'm sure a bunch more people were flooding into the Discord and you had more people playtesting. Was there anything that as the Kickstarter went on, you had a different thought of like, oh, maybe we should change this, getting more and more feedback? Or did that not really affect it much? I think we made a mistake by not having uh, a preview page up where people could give uh, feedback about uh, components and just various things. Because one thing I think we missed, um, just because we'd been focused on, you know, game design and like, you know, the upgrades with the sleeves and things like that. We, uh, a lot of people were asking for upgraded tokens and we didn't have time to design prototype and, you know, like react to that feedback during the campaign. But if we had a pre-launch page up, we would have been able to see that feedback early and start prototyping it. Um, so yeah, uh, I, that's the big one. I'm sure there's something else I'm not thinking of, but just, it's, uh, just getting that kind of feedback early is, if it's going to affect components, is very helpful because, you know, obviously we don't have time to design and prototype something during a Kickstarter campaign. Going back to your, your point just now as well as earlier, uh, talking about components and, you know, being up against your, your Elden Rings, your, your Heroes of Might and Magic, was there ever a version of the game that had, uh, like, Simon levels of monster minis for every guy in front of you or was it always the the version it is now where the monsters are cards in front of you so you don't have to spend 10 minutes every hallway fight digging through a box to find the right guys yeah um it was it was always the the enemies are our cards uh we had thought about doing more minis and a lot of people suggested doing minis for you know for bosses or something like that and i um I don't know. I, I just sort of stuck to our guns on if it doesn't add to gameplay, um, let's let's not do that. Yeah, I think it was the right move. My two cents. I think it would just be like an extra layer of cumbersomeness, you know. And it's not like it adds to the game because you're not moving them around on a grid or something like a dungeon or crawl, you know. So kudos for resisting the urge to add superfluous minis. I feel like that's killing a lot of board games. The super, the era of the superfluous mini. I, I will say that I think um, that uh, a lot of people talked about the price of the game being more than they thought it was. And I don't think people understand how much art sleeves cost. Um, they are expensive. Um like you could you could easily spend fifty dollars on art sleeves for the number of sleeves that are going to come in the game if you were to go to your local game shop and buy them. Yeah. Um, it's and we tried some different ways to handle upgrades, and I'm convinced that we picked the most playable version yeah. mm -hmm. of of how to handle them, and. Um, uh, Shout out to my my partner Andrew and to uh, designer John Claire for um, for convincing uh, uh, me and Anthony that that's the way forward. Anthony at, at Megacrit. Um, 
Yeah. So, so uh, I, I'm usually an anti-sleever. So I, I took some convincing and prototyping to, uh, to, to get on the sleeve bandwagon. And then after I played that prototype with the sleeves and I just flipped and I, you know, the upgrade was done, I didn't want to do it any of the other ways. So, um, I'm, I hope everyone appreciates that. Yeah. It was a very elegant solution because, you know, like, like Aaron mentioned, I, I was reading through some of your designer diaries and, the uh you know trying to have like oh well do you have a different deck of just the upgraded cards and of course that adds a whole bunch of extra cost and it's an insane amount of cards so it's a very very elegant solution that i i really appreciated yeah um okay a uh, couple things i just want to talk about sleeves a little bit more um if if we were to have separate upgrade decks the game would be less expensive because uh one card is less expensive than one art sleeve. Um, but that leads to some other problems. Like, um, first of all, you're not cutting the cost of the art sleeves entirely and making a cheap game. You're just meeting halfway, you know, because you still have to pay for right. the cards instead of the sleeves. So the game's not that much cheaper. And then you have more table space with the upgrade decks. And you, what if you decide to sleeve your game? Well, it's going to be hard to fit the upgrade decks and the regular decks sleeved in the box. E either either the box is um, either we make the box really big, or you can't fit sleeved cards in the box. Um, and uh, yeah, th th there were a few problems with with using upgrade decks. It it did feel like it did feel like it was taking up a bit too much table space when you had four players and everyone had their upgrade decks and. Um, we're considering building um, specialized trays to to make you know to make it more organized. All those decks being on the table, wow. but um, but with the with the sleeves, a lot of those problems went away. It didn't feel like too many decks on the table. It was easier to tell what was what. Um, things took up less space. So the box design be became clearer. And also, you know, you're, you're saving the, the time spent of, you know, you, you get to the campfire, which card do I want to upgrade? Now you've got to look through your deck of cards to see the cards you have, as well as search through the upgrade deck. And the last time you put the, away, the game away, you didn't put those back in alphabetical order. You just kind of threw them <laughs> back in that stack. So now you've got to search through that. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the upgrade decks were, would turn into uh, a they did become disorganized for sure. And the, la the last thing, uh, some, some people complaining about, oh, I have to unsleeve and flip to undo the upgrades. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're going to have to do that. I don't know, like five times or so. But, you know, organizing your upgrade deck is worse, <laughs> in my opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so moving forward, obviously, you know, you're getting to that point where uh, stuff's going to be going out. How much more work is going to go into it, do you think? I mean, obviously, you said there's some work that you're doing on the solo play stuff. I don't know if you've got the Act 4 elites where you want them. Um, but stuff like that, like how much more stuff, how much more development time is going to go in before you're able to to get that push and sent it out? Yeah, we've already um, been working on, uh, with our internal playtesting team and, and, and the devs, we've already been working on... Um, the, the next rulebook uh, version, the, the the new cards we've been working on, um, exactly how the drawbacks with the keys 
will work the keys that uh, allow you to access the heart and um, the act for elites. Those are the big things we're working on right now. Everything else is pretty much ready to, to push um, to production. Um, uh, I, I mean, you know, the public tabletop simulator mod. Um, and uh, we need to get things in the state so that um, the cards don't need to change so that the localization teams in other countries can start uh, translating it. Uh, so after we release the next version to Tabletop Simulator, we'll do we'll do some revs, uh, uh, fix the problems, you know, tweak the relics, get everything right where we want it, and then and then send it out to the the, the teams in other countries. Um, I know you said the uh, like the the earliest versions that you sent out to say, hey, can we keep going with this? Did include the combat die. So, you know, that, that's been consistent through the design. Uh, what's something that has changed more radically from those early, you know, print out, paste together prototypes to where the game is now? Let's see, what changed? Um, I mean, th th there, have been, there have been lots of, of iterations and, and changes, some things. Um, the shiv tokens, weren't originally there. Uh, they they were added later. That was also thanks to Penny. Um, and uh, let's see what else. The the HP we used to have max HP, and we got rid of it um, to to simplify things and just have one HP tracker. Um, oh. The very first version of the game uh, was only three-player, actually. It was not four. Wow. And that was partially because I didn't know how to do Watcher yet. Mm. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I guess, like, so what are you most proud of uh, in the game in terms of what you were able to transfer from the, the video game to the, the, car, the board game? Honestly, I'm just glad the whole thing works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like overall, it, it works. And I, what I'm most proud of is that when, when someone who's never played the video game plays it, they don't feel like it's a port. It feels playable to them. Yeah. That's the, yeah. that's the biggest compliment, uh, from my perspective that, that the game gets is when someone with no video game experience likes it. I just I just really like the game. I yeah. mean, I'll be honest with you. I have a, I'm not as wonky about Slay the Spire as uh, Aaron and Ian. Like, you can like call they're in the fine. numbers. Yeah, they're in the numbers. <laughs> like, they understand it. I, I, I like the way the game feels. So I'm more of an intuitive kind of Slay the Spire. I don't, I don't max out. I've never beat the heart. But I like the sense of exploration. I like... What's going to happen next? The events. What new cards are going to come? And so I'm that type of player. And I think you got you got that really well in the game. It still feels exciting to like push forward and see what comes. And uh, it was really good. And then I liked uh, the the party playing in a party really changed my the way the game felt to me because I could worry about a build that's not like super balanced because like I you know I can go all in on like poison and I know that like 
Ian's character is putting out of a lot of defense. And so like working together lets you do strategies that I don't know. I just I really liked it. I like playing it in a party. So I'm really looking forward to playing it more. So just just kudos. Uh it feel it feels good. You really nailed it. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, now I we worked really hard to make sure this wasn't just an hour of us talking about how much we love the game to you, because as fun as that is for us, yeah, that's not good <laughs> content. <laughs> but like real talk, we we are all old married people who go to bed at reasonable hours. Uh, and we started we stayed up too late we, like the first time we played <laughs> together we started kind of late and we were like okay we'll go through the first act just so we're you know we want to play it and see how it feels and we at like one o'clock in the morning we were like okay we're at the heart i think we won or we lost i don't know i can't do math anymore but we <laughs> wanted to keep going but we just physically couldn't anymore so like it it works. It's good. The game is good. It works well. It it's 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 a good game. That's like people have asked me about it because they know that I've played it an unconscionable amount of times, and it really just boils down to like it just it feels good to play. Well, we could definitely sit here. I mean, all night. <laughs> Sorry. <just> really diving <laughs> into the nitty gritty about how much we love this game and <laughs> how much how much we enjoyed the experience of playing it but obviously we want to let we got to let you go at some point and we really really do appreciate you coming on talking to us i mean you know not i mean we we're not that big but we appreciate you coming on anyways and talking through it with us and 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 going through that and uh, before we let you go you know obviously any shout outs or anything anything you want to say but my last question for you is who is your favorite character to play okay I think in the video game, I play the silent the most, and it's, and it's mm. probably my favorite. Um, a wise person. In the, in the board game, though, I I think I like them more, a little bit more equally. That may be a bias from me because I, <laughs> I feel like I, there's always something I want to play test on one of them. Just like, oh yeah. Watcher, uh huh. What happens if I just ignore wrath? Uh huh. Yeah, let me try that. <laughs> um, so yeah, like there's always something that I'm thinking of I want to try with each character. So, um, that that's that's not to say that the the characters in, in the board game are more interesting or anything like that. I'm just saying that, uh, for me personally, I, I, yeah, I, I really don't care who I'm playing in the board game. Megacrit did a bad job balancing the characters. You heard it here first, folks. Just kidding. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Uh, do do want to ask? Uh, do a little 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 PR moment here. Uh, if if people have missed out on the Kickstarter, uh, you know it was a, a wild success. But obviously, every time a Kickstarter makes ten million dollars, there's always a hundred people who are like, "Oh, I had no idea this was going on." Late pledges will be available at some point. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, for now, you can uh, sign up on our website, uh, contentiongames.com, to join our newsletter, and you'll get an email uh, with a link to the to, to late pledge when that goes live. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. If if you have uh, for some reason not heard or at least not checked it out yet, absolutely do give it a look because I, I think it's 100% worth it. Once again, thank you so much, Gary, for coming on. We really do appreciate it, and we're excited for when we finally get our hands on the physical copy to yes. continue to nerd out about it and talk about it endlessly. So thank you once again for coming on. It was it was an absolute pleasure to have you. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
All right, so that was our interview with Gary from Contention Games, and uh, wow, guys, that was that was super exciting. I definitely learned a lot from it. I am continuously awed by the amount of effort that they have put in and that he has put into this. And uh, I just before we wrap this up, I just want to kind of go around because you know we talked a lot, we talked a lot about it with him, but so much of why we like this game is just kind of the 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 personal feeling we got as we played it. So I just kind of want to wrap up our thoughts on the game before we go. So Aaron and, and Matt, for you guys, just what do you think about the game? What did you really like about it? And, you know, what what do you think? I may have already said this. I may have said this in the parts where we were recording or the parts where we weren't recording. This really feels like a labor of love. Uh, this does not feel like uh, Megacrit wanted to make a board game version and sent out contracts to people to make it this feels like gary really wanted to make this board game and it comes across so well it just it feels good to play it feels like the video game but not just a paper simulacrum it it really stands alone as a very good board game that happens to be based on a very good video game. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I think, uh, to me, they solved for the biggest problem that was kind of looming over the whole idea of doing this, which is why why does it even need to exist? Slay the Spire, the video game, is already there. It's really great. Uh, if you just, you know, put that on the tabletop sort of unchanged, what's the point? Well, I think they gave it a point. You know, I think co-op, uh, was a great addition to the feel of it. I think they adjusted uh, elements of the game in ways that make it feel fresh. Um, so what this really feels like to me is uh, it meets the need of like both potential audiences for this. Like if you've played Slay the Spire, it's a new, fresh take on it that's not 100% like what you've played before that you kind of have to rethink a little bit or you'll find parts of it that feel fresh and new to you and if you've never played slay the spire the video game at all and barely know anything about it uh this is just a good co-op uh deck building uh dungeon crawl type thing so yeah i mean i think they really solved for like the core question of why even do this and i think they gave it uh they gave it a lot of great appeal across a broad cross-section and uh for you know for me not being the most like adept slay the spire player not really as like advanced in strategies it, the things that i like about slay the spire the vibe the feel the sense of exploration all of that's there in spades so uh it's good it's good stuff so it's, it's really a fantastic game i cannot wait to get my my hands on it i guess i think for me um what's really cool uh, about playing the game and and you alluded to it matt is uh, beyond just that the feel of the game is all of all of the things I love about Slay the Spire exist, but I feel like I'm learning a new game. And not in not in a bad way where I feel like I have to, to relearn the strategy and I have to completely like figure stuff out again, but in a way where it's, it's like they dropped a DLC patch for the video game. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, there's so much more to explore because all, all of the same concepts, the same things that have built up from all the hours that I've spent playing the video game, they all still apply there. You want to keep a small deck. You need to have a certain balance of things. There has to be, you know, some cards are better than other cards, but it, it really shakes it up. Like, 
you know, like he mentioned, the Watcher doesn't have divinity anymore. That's an entire aspect that they just took out. They got rid of the mantra mechanic completely. It just doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, the within the defect, the way that darkness works is wildly different. It's a completely different setup because it couldn't really function the same way. But yet you still get the idea of it still is a occasional thing that pops up and does massive damage because that's the, that's the way it works. It's not a constant tick of damage. It's a one-off burst. And uh, the same way with so many other aspects, it, it, it's it's the same, like you said, it's the same feel, but I love that I get to feel like I get to explore uh, the new game again, and I get to learn what is good in this as opposed to what was good in the video game. And I think that's really impressive that they managed to not just copy it, but to actually make it different enough on its own that I think it's worth playing this just because I think it's going to be a really good game. I don't think it's good because it's Slay the Spire. I think it's good because it's actually a really well-designed board game. And then just before we, we fully close out and, and move to the, that, the actual outro, I do want to give uh, an, another shout-out to Andrew from the team who uh, helped helped uh, us get this scheduled and on the books and make this happen because uh, cause I was trying to reach out to Gary uh, you know, during the Kickstarter around Thanksgiving that would have gotten us nowhere. And Andrew <laughs> was our, our man on the inside who who uh, inceptioned this idea into Gary's head to, to come on and, and sit with us. Uh, so thanks. Thanks for, for your help. And thanks again to Gary. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Of course, we always do appreciate when you guys listen, and we love seeing the feedback. If you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a review. It really does help us out a lot. Or just let somebody know that you enjoyed it, or even reach out to us. We'd love to hear what you thought about the Slay the Spire board game. If you got the chance to play it, or if you just love the video game, definitely let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And Matt, if they do want to get in touch with us, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Dice Pirates. Uh, we're there all week long, posting about the games we're playing, mini reviews, videos, uh, all sorts of stuff. So we'd love to hear from you. This is going to be our last episode of the year. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in the new year. So thank you so much for everybody who has listened. We will be back soon, so keep an eye out for us. But until then, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games! Play more games!